Welcome to Decoding Debbie, Episode 3. I am Brandon Hay at HayB3, and we're bringing in another Brandon, so double the fun, double the Brandon, uh, Brandon Sanders. Um, you can find him at Brandon T. Sanders uh, on Twitter, and um, he's the creator, owner of CFF University, and the host of the CFFU uh, podcast presented by Price Picks. Thanks, Brandon, for uh, joining. Thanks for having me on, man. Uh, this is pretty fun. I, I get to just sit down and talk college football. Uh, we kind of take it from a fantasy perspective, but essentially that's what Debbie's doing is just, you know, getting guys ahead of time and then putting them on the roster ahead of time. So it's always cool to have this, you know, same type of collegiate football type situation, but have two separate minds and two separate uh, categories as far as like fantasy football and how it's played. It's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, so um, that's a good that's a good point. So obviously, you know, on the fantasy side in college, you know, it's all about you know the pr- production. It's not mm-hmm. always about the players that are going to reach the next level and everything. Um, do you? Do you play a dynasty fantasy football in NFL too? I did, yeah. Uh, my background is I, I came from the original writers from the fantasy footballers, of course, Andy, Mike, and Jason, great dudes. Um, but it was redraft, and then I started uh, digging into dynasty. I heard of the greatness that that was. And uh, at the time, the footballers weren't doing any dynasty content, so I reached out to my friend Rich Dotson, who's at the Dynasty Nerds. So he offered me a spot there, and that's where I uh, kind of dug in deep. And of course, I wanted to get better at rookie drafts. So it's like, all right, I was, you know, I was finding some diamonds in the rough and stuff like that. But I was like, how can I really get good at it? So then I started looking around and all of a sudden I start seeing, you know, guys, uh, you probably know of uh, like John Lobb and a few of the ones that kind of pop up right. in the Twitter feed. They actually do college fantasy football and have been doing it for multiple years. So I found that very intriguing and that you could play college fantasy uh, on, you know, the college level. So why wouldn't I want to play fantasy football Saturday and Sunday? And sometimes now, like with Mac and stuff like that, I can play fantasy football from Tuesday through Sunday. So sometimes Monday with the Monday night games, it's, it's glorious. So I was like, well, shoot, I'll get good at rookies and stuff like that. But here I am now several years later and now I'm in, you know, a dynasty league in college fantasy football. So here I am looking at uh, high school uh, seniors and stuff like that. So the uh, the struggle never never dies, man. You just keep getting deeper and deeper in the rabbit hole. But, uh, yeah, man. Uh, but the good thing is, like, doing fantasy, you do see the the ones. It's called the eye test. And when you see the eye test, you notice that, like, these some of these guys stand out better than the rest. And you just – they have that pedigree. I'd say, like, my famous one was seeing this kid from Eastern Washington whose name was Cooper Cup and got him in a third round of Dynasty, and he blew up. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's cool to see those guys at the FCS and FBF level before they even get to the pros, man. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, that those are all, like, great points. And, you know, what you're bringing up, you know, diving more into college, especially this year for me, I've seen a lot more um, players, you know, on the MAC level and all these different teams that – you know, I knew about obviously all these teams, but I know more in depth the players, and I think that can only help you on the NFL side, dynasty wise. Mm-hmm. And another um, question I wanted to ask you before we really got into th- any anything, for mm-hmm. some of the casual, um, you know, college football fans that are more on the NFL side that play, you know, fantasy football and dynasty, mm-hmm. they just see some of these players with the huge stats, you know, fantasy wise, you know, for CFF. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a Mo Ibrahim and everything. Yep. And it's just interesting because those guys don't always make it in the NFL. Like they could they have these crazy stats. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, watching the games and be more into fantasy, you can understand, you know, you want this guy for college fantasy like a Mo Ibrahim, you know, mm-hmm. players like that. Um, but they always, you know, sometimes the NFL isn't looking just for the, those stats. They're looking no. for, you know, transferable traits. So mm-hmm. um, that's definitely another, another you know, great thing because you can pile up all those stats in college and you would think, you know, those players would still have a place in the NFL, but we've seen it so many times, you know, I'm a Michigan fan. So like Mike Hart, he was great in college, but like Mm -hmm. hardly ever saw the field in the NFL just because he didn't have the size and the speed. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same like you're talking about, like, we'll talk about uh, Bailey Zappi, who's become QB1 in CFF. Uh, Western Kentucky, unless you really deep dive into them, uh, like for us in CFF, that's like a goldmine. Seeing these guys go up against UTSA in one of the conference games, it's a dream come true, and I'm excited to see it. But people from Debbie or people that are maybe scouting, Bailey Zappi just got, you know, uh, the Reese's Senior Bowl. He got invited. So it's cool to see people like that get their time to shine. But we all know Bailey Zappi, unless – 
injury occurs or something like that, he's a backup QB. Like he's he's not meant for the league. Uh, you got your guy there, Cade McNamara. I think he's does well for the system that's in play with Michigan. You're letting your running backs run loose. I love Hassan Haskins. I think he could actually be a good late round RB. I don't think he would be a starting running back in the NFL, but here once again, opportunity sees itself. He can turn into someone that's like, you know, a Kareem Hunt or something like that, like a secondary running back in a good one with, you know, next to like a Nick, uh, a Nick Chubb. And then boom, you have a one-two, you know, power punch running back. And, you know, don't you know, we don't even mention Blake Corm, whose future is looking bright there in Michigan. I mean, I'm, I'm stuck for you guys. I mean, that win last week was pretty amazing, man. I'm I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it later in the show, but uh, they got a good possibility of getting in the final four here. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. So um, now we'll move into some of the um, conference championships and kind of talk a little bit of the playoffs too. Sure. Um, so actually, let's see. Okay. All right, there we go. Nice. Yeah. So uh, you know, I did. I I just found out Streamyard allows you to like upload like these uh, powerpoints now. So that's yeah, what I was like doing before sick. the show. Yeah. So nice. all right. So it's the biggest conference championship game, probably. You know, most likely Hands the down. biggest game. This yeah. year, um, we've been waiting for it. You know, as the season's been going on, um, Georgia's just steamrolled everyone, really. Um, mm-hmm. Alabama's had their hiccup, you know, against Texas A&M, and also, you know, they had a close one against Arkansas. Um, yes. They haven't, you know, in this Auburn, this game last week, which this surprised past me. Week. I thought yep. they were steamrolled Auburn. and um, But, it's, you know, another one of those rivalry games, as you see, I kind of just threw up some of those stats, you know, Point-wise, they're about the same, but, you know, they couldn't be even more different on how they play offensively. And, obviously, Georgia's defense is just amazing. They, you know. Yes. So, I want to get. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion because I think the biggest thing most people are thinking is this great Georgia defense against this great Alabama offense, um, which is going to be a good battle. But I think it might be the opposite of how Alabama's defense that hasn't been great can play against this Georgia offense because they're really going to need to keep that Georgia offense down um, because you do wonder how many points Alabama can score in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes – and I've I've said this on multiple podcasts and I'll say it on yours. It's like Georgia's playing on a whole other level when it comes to defense. Uh, I can I see them beating the Detroit Lions and Jacksonville Jaguars. That's how good of a defense that I see them beating, that they can transcend easily. And a lot of these guys will wind up going NFL very early rounds when it's time for them to come out. And it's going to be an easy get and then an easy transition into the NFL for some of these guys. But um, doing some digging and seeing like that um, – the people in the narrative is like, you know, Alabama's gonna, it's gonna, this is gonna stay in it. And I think they will to a degree. But here's the takeaways and something that, I've, you know, with the digging and stuff like that. Although, like, Georgia is only ranked 27th overall in offense on there, they really haven't had to really go all out because they really have been up the entire time most of the time. The only one that really gave them the scare was Tennessee, and they have a very high octane offense as well. So the good thing is that Alabama, you know, is ranked seventh overall in offense. However, their passing defense is not doing so hot. They're 42nd overall in the FBS, and that's where we can see um, Stetson Bennett kind of find that leaky hole in the ship type situation. Uh, I think we see – I don't know if we see the emergence of George Pickens, but I do see uh, a Brock Bauer situation. He's been on fire the past couple weeks, and I think that kind of keeps the ball rolling. Um, I do think Alabama is going to start shutting down a lot of the – the run play that we see. So good old Zamir Zeus. And then we also have uh, James Cook, the brother of Dalvin Cook, who I see as a, uh, a great prospect coming out as well. Um, both of those guys are going to be limited. So it's going to come down to, you know, finding that exact, um, you know, that, that mismatch I like to look for and matchups and stuff like that. And fantasy, we're learned to look at the matchup, looking at the differences and we look for, the, uh, the weakness, and that's the weakness is the passing defense of Alabama. And it's cost them a couple of times to the point to where they barely held on against Arkansas, and I don't think that was a mistake per se. Auburn, I see it as a scratch really because it's, it's it's the Iron Bowl. So, I mean, like Auburn was going to try to come at them as hard as they possibly could go. However, they did, you know, find that that that, that they can throw on Alabama. So that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to be interesting. Uh, it's probably, of course, the game of the week. So I'm really excited to see it. Uh, but I still think Georgia's gonna gonna win this one. I say probably by a touchdown, if I'm being honest with you. So, okay, yeah, that that is our all like, great points. And um, I was actually driving um, home. Um, I mm-hmm. was running some errands today, and I was listening to uh, ESPN radio. Someone was calling in talking about you know Stetson Bennett and everything like mm-hmm. from the past. And I think 
One thing that'll be interesting is we've seen Stetson Bennett, you know, I guess last year um, where he did not look good against Alabama, but I think he's a different player now. He seems more comfortable. And, he does. And I think that's going to be a big change. And I just think the whole Georgia team's different in the mm-hmm. way that defense plays. Um, and he and he knows that, um, you know, he just has, has to make, you know, a handful of plays because they're going to try to run the ball, um, control the clock, uh, play great defense. So, um, but I think the bigger thing is playoff-wise because I think we both – that everyone knows if Alabama beats Georgia, they're both going to be in because Georgia yeah. would – that would be first loss. Do you think mm-hmm. – if Georgia beats Alabama in a very close game, say a field goal, or even if it goes to overtime, can Alabama with two losses and not one name, the SEC still get in the playoff? This is where we go into a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a personal opinion. So for everyone listening, just the personal opinion there, the, the board loves Alabama. Let's just be honest that it's a great school. It's Nick Saban. Who doesn't want – and the good thing is Alabama always produces a great game, especially against a lot of these teams that we see near the top. So, like, you know, guys like Michigan, guys like Georgia, um, you know, against Ohio State, things like that. Like, they can produce really good games that you want to see and stuff like that. Uh, personally, I, I I, I don't. I think an undefeated Cincinnati, if they can take down Houston this coming week, uh, they, they are more deserving. I've been long for a G5 school to prove – you know, tough enough to come up on these ranks and actually produce and be able to compete on this level. We did see Cincinnati take down the mighty Notre Dame now losing their coach. So it's a little different story now, but um, back then with a Brian Kelly system, um, that's hard to go into Notre Dame and get that done. So that shows the power, you know, that Cincinnati and seeing the production of Jerome Ford and Desmond Ritter, as far as both, um, you know, prospects as well as fantasy players to see them kind of, rise to the occasion and get that done. So me personally, I I don't like two lost teams in the playoffs. And if they expand next year or the next couple of years, sure. Yeah, I could definitely see Alabama sticking in it. But is do they deserve it? Me personally, no. But will it might happen? It's it's possible. It's the committee. So that, that would probably be my uh vanilla answer without um explicitives and two hour long rants or anything like that. So <laughs> Yeah, so we'll we'll go into the rest of the games now. So um, obviously, uh, the Michigan versus Iowa. You know, um, mm-hmm. I had probably one of the best days I've had in a very long time this past Saturday. Oh man, Michigan that had to beat, be awesome. Michigan beat Ohio State. Um, yes. It was weird at the beginning of the the week. I didn't feel great about the game, but as it mm-hmm. started, you know, ramping up, and then when I heard there was going to be snow, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, I really liked it. But I I could not imagine that they would have won that handedly you know i thought it was going to be right. uh you know up until the end so i i was happy for michigan i was happy for horrorball to finally get over that that hump but this would truly be the most michigan thing finally beat ohio state and lose to iowa in the big 10 championship game so yeah. um so i want to just want to you know briefly talk about some of these games um sure I, iowa not a very good passing team not at all. Yeah. Uh, just a rushing team. They have a good defense. I personally, I, I would rather Michigan just, you know, play their game and just blow them out. But I could see Michigan coming into this game thinking, hey, you know, same thing against Ohio State. Let's just run the ball. Don't turn the ball over. Mm-hmm. Play good defense and just get out of here with a win. So it might be closer mm-hmm. than most people might think, just the way that they approach it. Um, but uh, w- what is your kind of take, you know, just quick take on this game? So I do think Michigan needs to be very careful of Iowa just because Iowa has been dropping as far as defensive rank, but they're still the 13th overranked defense in the country. I mean, they have the 14th best rushing defense. Now I did love the scenario last week, the weather, the snow and Ann Arbor and stuff like that just played perfectly into an Hassan Haskins game. And like I said, I, I don't know, you might know more than I do, but if Corm is healthy and he's actually playing, which I, I don't see why you wouldn't, it's a championship game. But if Corm and Haskins both can do it, they're just going to completely just keep running. Even if it's the 14th ranked defense, Michigan knows how to how to tire their defense and they just keep pounding at them with the occasional ones. I do see some um, McNamara kind of doing some short passes to Johnson. I think Johnson is a, is a nice sneaky play, whether, whether you're doing some draft Kings or if you're just looking for someone in, in a development session like Debbie, where you're looking at Johnson as far as long-term, he's definitely got the tangibles to get it done as far as being strong with his, with his catching ability. Um, so I do see him getting those five yards um, going through the middle and stuff like that. 
so I think Michigan can get it done for sure, uh, but they do need to be careful. The good thing is that Iowa ranks 123rd in the in overall offense. So they're other than Laporta, there's really not much Iowa is really producing out of the wide receiver or receiving core range. So as long as Michigan stays with the narrative and just keeps pressing Iowa as far as rush and the occasional pass, if they're in like a third and short situation or a second and short situation, this could be theirs. And I still think uh, a 10 point narrative, I still think like a touchdown and a field goal. And I think Michigan can get it done for sure. No, I definitely agree. I think the biggest thing, with teams like this, the Iowas, the Wisconsins, even Northwestern type teams, uh, mm-hmm. if you let them hang, hang around, you know you don't want to let them hang around for the whole game. And I think one of the one of the biggest reasons Michigan beat Ohio State is they they scored touchdowns when they got in the red zone. So I think they continue they have to need continue that against Iowa because if they kick a bunch of field goals, you know, then Iowa can stay in the game. I think that's the biggest thing. Now moving on yeah. to a game that doesn't really. I would assume doesn't have any uh, playoff implications with Oregon and Utah. No. They play again. Um, Oregon yet again, you know, shits the bed. I mean, you know, they yeah. always they always seem to do this. They have a good enough team to win, you know, nine, ten games. But when it comes down to winning a game to, you know, get in the playoff, and this really helps Cincinnati by them losing. Um, mm-hmm. Who who do you think will come away with this with this game? Man, my gut tells me Utah. Uh, I just uh, the defense is coming on strong with Utah. Uh, they've climbed up to the 16th best overall, and you're going up against uh, you know Oregon, who's got the 99th uh, ranked passing defense right now. So they are um, showing sides of weakness there against the pass. So I think we could see those two tight ends. I think it's a uh, it's Kuthi and I want to say it's Kincaid or one of the Kincaid or whatever. There, they're, they're basically our top two with a little bit of sprinkling of Britton Covey in there. So I do think our boy Cameron Terry rising is a which is a great prospect coming forward Uh, i think he can get the job done um oregon like it's going to be tough because you're going against the 25th you know uh, passing defense and then 24th rushing defense of you know of utah so oregon unless it's a travis die catching it out the backfield i think if he does the check down system i think die can be productive but if he's trying to just run straight at utah that's not happening that's just not how this game is going to go straight forward and without you know losing Verdell really it's just dying in the and then you know their freshman or sophomore as their backup and and he's still in 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 developing stages and stuff like that so he's not ready for this big time thing like die has been in the past few years so um Anthony Brown is a really good game manager so I think if he keeps the clock going and he can keep uh, play keep away against Utah I think that would probably be the best scenario for Oregon is to keep it close but I still say Utah by a field goal like three, I think. Uh, I think it's minus three over in uh, in Las Vegas. So I'm gonna kind of stick with Vegas's line there and kind of say Utah pulls this out. Just got a gut feeling there. No, I I agree. I agree with the Utah win. They they pretty much dominated Oregon. Um, was that last week or is that a week before? Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. They did yeah, the same a couple thing. Of weeks ago. Um, I'm glad you brought up Rising. I wanted to get your mm-hmm. opinion on him as a, a college fantasy um, player. Mm-hmm. You know, moving forward, they just they don't pass the ball a lot, but he can get touch games where he has two or three touchdowns. So on a fantasy mm-hmm. type, um, you know, college fantasy, he's obviously not someone you want to start every week. I guess if nah. if if there's a buy, maybe and you're in it, but there's right. there, but he probably doesn't have very much upside, correct? Right. Yeah. If you're playing super flex and you're playing like a two or three QB, um, you know, uh, league definitely. Um, he's really more for a bye week. Um, it's the thing with Utah is they need they need to they're going to ground and pound. I mean it's going to be uh, our our boy uh, what's I can't forget it. Thomas I think right Tavian Thomas. They finally found their their main guy and once Utah finds their main guy and running back whether that was like Booker or Zach Moss who now is in the NFL that that person is really just going to transcend and so. Thomas is the one to look out for in the Utah system as far as Debbie and for NFL rookie purposes when he comes out. Um, Rising's really – he's got the tangibles. I, I think he's a little bit more than the game manager. He's hes hes not just someone that just runs the clock down. He just needs a wide receiver one. Like, they really just need to recruit, you know, this big – I think they just need, instead of these smaller guys like a like a Britton Covey, they, they need someone that's like 6'3", 6'4", 215, just – one of those like DK Metcalf type of receivers. If they can get one of those, I think uh, Rising could probably find easier matchups over the top of the defenses there in the in the pack 
in the Pac-12 because until, you know, we'll talk about, we might talk about a little bit this, but until Lincoln Riley can pretty much get USC the way he wants them, this is Utah's, you know, um, I think this is their their conference to run, basically. They just need to get them a few more higher recruits, some bigger boys, and I think they could get it done. But, yeah, they're definitely a run team first, and they've been like that for like 10-plus years, and I don't really see them changing unless there's this standout recruit that makes them change their ways, basically. So. No, I definitely agree. So the next one is the Big 12, um, Baylor versus Oklahoma State. Both teams are pretty good defensively. Um, you know, uh, I want to get your take on this. And also I wanted to ask you, so say Georgia beats Alabama, and let's say mm-hmm. Alabama is out of the picture for the top four. So, you know, and say Michigan wins and mm-hmm. say Cincinnati wins. So you got Georgia, Cincinnati, and Michigan. So would, if Oklahoma state wins, do you think they would be the fourth team in the playoff? Um, by process of elimination? Yes. Only because they've taken down Oklahoma and uh, they've already beaten Baylor once this year by like a good 10 points. And that was only like two or three weeks ago. I see the same scenario happening here um, just because Oklahoma state's rocking that third overall defense in the FBS. So they're very strong. Uh, our boy, uh, I don't know if you call him Jerry or Gary. I just call him Gary Bohannon. But although he's got the tangibles as far as the run and pass, uh, he's going to run into a brick wall. And Oklahoma saw that too. And then you saw, you know, saw Bedlam. So that's uh, that's where uh, we run into that scenario. I do, I do see Oklahoma State kind of getting in. It really would be a long shot for like a uh, a team higher up or anything like that. Because Oregon, if they fall, I mean, they're like what eleventh or tenth or something like that. There's no way they can jump that high. Um, you know, guys like Pittsburgh and Wake Forest are too far down as far as ranking to kind of jump up that far to get in there. Uh, I do see Oklahoma State kind of getting here, which would be pretty awesome because I, I, I don't know. It's been what a long time since Oklahoma State's been remotely into like a, a true like number one championship game in a long time. So, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I see Oklahoma State winning that game also. Uh, I was actually surprised that they won last week. I think. Even with that good defense, I just thought Oklahoma would be a little bit too much and because um, I'm not a big believer in Spencer Sanders as a, a quarterback. Yeah. He's kind of, you know, a manager, and, but he made some plays, and they, you know, that defense came through. So Nets with Houston versus Cincinnati, this is a this should be actually a pretty good game too. Houston yeah. um, has a very good offense. Um, they had good receivers, good running game. Um Although I think Cincinnati's going to win this game, do you think they Cincinnati that it needs to win convincingly to um, get in the playoff, or do you think oh, a win regardless, you know, even if it's just by a field goal, would get them in? Yeah. So when you uh, when I saw this on the show sheet, I chuckled a little bit because the past couple of uh, podcast episodes that I've had guests on or been you know been on somebody's, I, I've told them like why hasn't Cincinnati played so like, like they're mad because they've been, you know, it's like they have to go over these hurdles every single time to get to where they're at. And now it's like they're at that one last spot nowadays. I don't think so uh, against a, you know, a team that's, uh, you know, an hour down the road in ECU here uh, near Greenville, North Carolina, they, they smashed the pirates and I was expecting maybe a closer game there, but it's now like they, that was like their convincing win that they need to give them that confidence. I think they kind of carry that confidence. Now Houston is still going to be decent. They're the sixth overall defense, so Houston's not going to give up much either. So it's going to come down to, you know, uh, if Jerome Ford's truly healthy, can Ritter find Alec Pierce in the right matchup, you know, things like that in particular as well. I think Cincinnati takes it just because we've seen the guts that they have, especially against a Notre Dame team who seems to be much tougher than Houston is. But I don't sleep on Houston, uh, but I still think it's going to be pretty close, man. I'm going to say – maybe a touchdown. I don't even think the 10.5 of Las Vegas is really that accurate. I think they should be under because I think they're overestimating Houston because I've seen them play a few times and Clayton Toon's been actually really, really good as far as getting the ball down the four, you know, down the field. They're, you know, in the top 55 as far as offense. So it's not like they don't know what they're doing. Um, so they have Nathaniel Dell and then they also have McCaskill, who's the true freshman, who's going to be a, another good player to look at here for Debbie's purposes as well. So um, I think it'll be a lot closer than we think. I think Cincinnati doesn't need to really blow them out per se. I just think then it just needs a strong, just a W, just get it done. And then they can't deny them because they're still undefeated. And there's, like I said, no reason for a two-loss team to be in there when you have an undefeated team that's getting the job done, regardless. And Houston is a tough test. It's the second biggest test behind Notre Dame. So if they can get it done, I think they're deserving for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Nathaniel Dell. I really like him. 
Um, you know, I watched him and he's just so quick with the ball and he has that speed and that offense. And an- another year, he's a great fantasy producer um, mm-hmm. in college. And I think he has some, you know, he could have get some Debbie potential, you know, um, with another good year. Because um, mm-hmm. the NFL is kind of moving towards those type of receivers, the speedier ones that, you know, yep. can um, go deep and then catch it short and, and uh, make some plays. So lastly, um, I know there's other championship games, but the ones that I really care about, uh, Pittsburgh versus Wake Forest in the ACC. Oh, who man. Would thought, who would have thought these two teams would be in the ACC championship? Not uh, not me being a Carolina fan. I thought it would be Clemson and, and Carolina, but preseason was dead wrong, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, totally, totally wrong. So. Um, both of these teams are, you know, they're they're offensively fun to watch. Um, Wake Forest. I've had Sam Hartman in a in a league, um, mm-hmm. in a regular college fantasy, and then a C2C league, and nice. he puts up huge numbers. But I will say, um, if you watch him, sometimes, especially near the end of the season, he was making some. He would have one or two bad throws a game that, um, you know, against North Carolina, uh, it cost them the game. You know, with some of those costly interceptions. Yep. Um, and their offense, it's just it's just a weird offense, the way that they play. They play, you know, they do those read options, but they do it so close to the line of scrimmage that the defenses have trouble with that. But um, mm-hmm. and I, I've never been a big Kenny Pickett believer, but, I mean, this mm-hmm. year he just keeps on doing it. So I'll be really interested yeah. in how the NFL kind of looks at him. So who do you think will um, win this one and get the ACC championship? Uh, so first and foremost, this one's uh, an over 72.5. So this is going to be a shootout extravaganza. This is ACC this year at its best. So if you're just looking for a good time and you just want to have a couple beers and just watch the points flow, this is the game to see for sure. Uh, Kenny Pickett has come such a long way, man. Uh, I've seen some stats to where like he went undrafted in a lot of CFF and C- I think C2C. I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't drafted in some of those. I know it's a little deeper than at CFF rosters and stuff like that, but Still, the fact that he comes—he's come that so far—and I don't know if he got a QB like a uh, coach or you know saw a trainer in the offseason. If it's just the right system, if it's just him and Addison kind of doing this one-two punch, I would love to see both of them go to the Steelers. I mean, I'm not a Steelers guy, but it makes sense for them to be drafted and just kind of carry on the tradition there and just feed Deontay Johnson, who's my boy in Dynasty. So shout out to you, Deontay. Um, but uh, you know, uh, to see. And I agree. Like uh, I call him Sam the Hitman Heart for a reason because he does. Sam Sam's really good. I mean, like he's not my favorite Sam. That would be Hal, who we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But um, Hartman, uh, he has the tangibles. Like he he's got he's got quite the arm on him. He does remind me actually of Kenny Pickett, like a couple years ago before the the jump up. Um, as far as what he's capable of, is Hartman ready to come out? No, I I, I think this next year at Wake Forest, I think if he can get get back there and uh, you know kind of do the same thing and just kind of get with a QB coach and stuff like that, I think Hartman can improve. But he's just making some small mistakes, and those small mistakes are gonna are gonna cost him. So you have the fourth ranked overall offense in Pittsburgh versus ninth overall de- you know offense in uh, Wake Forest, and they're both as far as like overall defense is concerned. Uh, Pittsburgh's defense, as far as passing, is 107 or 112th overall. So that's where it's going to get a little tricky, and that's where Wake Forest is going to keep it close. So you look for At Perry, who might be someone that might be on someone's radar, and Debbie. Um, of course, Roberson's still there, but Perry seems to be the guy that's kind of standing out the past few weeks for him as well. Um, and they can also, um, but Pittsburgh, they're just high octane, and there's nothing stopping it. There's a the passing defense over in uh, in Wake Forest is 118th. So <laughs> Kenny Pickett is going to feast. Um, I think Tazir Mack is not going to be able to play this one. So look for, uh, what's the name, Wayne, the wide receiver three. I think that's a good one. And also, Guy, once Addison is gone, I will look at Wayne, actually. Uh, they got a couple new recruits, I think, coming in next year. But Wayne looks like he might be wide receiver one here next year for those that are interested in Debbie. So keep a lookout for Wayne in this game as well. But I say it's going to be Pittsburgh, man. Yeah, I, I think both of the, that should be a very good game. And um, here's hoping that, you know, we had that uh, earlier in the year, that nine overtime game with uh, Penn State, Illinois, where there's no offense. Yes. So I think it would be exciting to get an overtime game like that, but where points yes. are actually scored, you know. Yes. So I think that could be uh, very exciting. <laughs> so uh, next we'll talk about something that's very near and dear to your heart. We'll talk yes. about North Carolina football. Yeah. I really like Sam Howell you know, coming out even before this year. And I think some people have been a little too hard on him this year based on um, a lot of the things that, you know, 
happened with the team and, you know, losing those receivers and those running backs. I mean, you're the, you're the North Carolina, you know, expert about that. So what is your opinions on how, and just what really went wrong with the team this year? Well, first and foremost, uh, and it's not, and I try not to be an excuse, but people over, over, I think the the expectation was too high for North Carolina. There was too much production lost. Let's look at, you know, Javante Williams, who's now against, you know, the starting running back for the Denver Broncos alongside Melvin Gordon. We lost Michael Carter, who's IR currently, but was doing very well for the Jets. We've lost De'Ami Brown, who's doing really good for Washington as a wide receiver, too, behind Scary Terry. And then, you know, we lost Daz Newsom, who's sitting there waiting, you know, for his turn there with the Bears. You know, they just need to get it together as far as their offense is concerned. Um, that's a lot of production, man. Like, and the thing is, like, Sam, like, he always finds a way to get better every single year, and he works hard. Like, Sam's one of those guys, like, he's he does, like, either community work or he's out practicing. Like, that's pretty much what he does for the most part. That's how good of a person that Sam Howell is. But it also shows you his his drive. Like, look at what happened with NC State. Yeah, they gave the game away at the end, but that wasn't Sam's fault. Like, he thought tooth and nail. The man learned how to be a better running quarterback, to be a better dual threat just because of the lack of consistency, like him and Josh Downs have a great connection and Downs is going to be a great NFL player, I believe as well, but look at the production. So it's like, I agree that, uh, and I'll agree with some of the criticism. I think Sam has uh, created a little bit of bad habit when it comes to that, because, because of the lack of production, honestly, like, I feel like after he looks for Downs, he really didn't look for Antoine Green other than if he thought he had like a big, you know, shot down the field and stuff like that. So almost like Sam is, program himself to be like first look then run type situation well that got him in trouble a lot to the point to where like his ribs were so banged up that he had to sit against Walford and you know take a take a week off type situation like the man puts the team on his back and you know forever love you know Sam Halfer what he's done for this college and what he's done for you know the for UNC and for you know for what he's done but uh, I don't think he's too far off from being a Heisman candidate still I still think he's got great tangibles uh, he's still got a lot more positives than negatives yeah he'll have to un you know trigger in his mind the you know first read then run type situation if he's going he reminds me a lot of Baker Mayfield man like honestly like I think that's most of people's comparisons and stuff like that and I really haven't looked into the NFL draft board as far as what, what he's coming out and stuff like that. But Sam's very capable of doing it. I could see him going to like a Houston Texans. And if they program the right type of uh, program and the good coach around him, I think he could really uh, shine in, in an NFL system, just like Baker does. If you put, you know, the right pieces around him in a Cleveland offense and then just put some, put some studs around him. I, I think he's very much capable of that. Um, he, he's, he, I think he's, he's not too far off. Yeah. It's a, it's been a six and six. I mean, I get it. Like it's, it sucks. I mean, it sucks for us as fans. I mean, like I'm not suspecting at least be ranked by the end of the year. You know, not sitting here hoping for like a, a Duke's Mega Bowl or something like that. You know, but whatever. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think Sam's great. Uh, it's just, yeah, he's he's done a few habits that he has to correct because of the season. But uh, I think he's very much uh, a, if anything, a day two quarterback. I don't know if he'll go first round now at this point, but I definitely think he's day two for sure. I definitely think he should go day one. And I pretty much everyone's, you know, has that comparison with Baker. I think Howell has a little more upside. And mm-hmm. one thing that I love about Howell, but I just he can't do in the NFL is I love how he he, he runs the ball and he, he's looking to run over people and everything. Obviously mm-hmm. at the quarterback position, you can't do that. But I love what he what he does, you know, and you could tell, I mean, to be totally honest, you know, when the season went downhill. You know, he could have been like, all right, I'm done. You know, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I've am I'm, I've showed what I need to do. But he continued to fight. You know, I think the Wake Forest game was a big one. They got down early yep. and he fought back. You know, maybe not – didn't have his best passing day, but he was running. And, mm-hmm. you know, that, that team just went everything on him. So I th- still think – I still consider Sam Hill um, either quarterback one or quarterback two coming out. But it'll be interesting how the testing and all that goes on. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, a couple other things I want to talk about North Carolina while I had you on. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, who do you think the quarterback will be next year? I um, was very impressed with Drake May um, in the spring. Yes. So I'm interested about that. And how long do you think they stay with Matt Brown? Um, so 
first, before I go on that, I just want to say that some things that can't be tested and that's hard and that's something that Sam Howe has. And I mean, I know I'm going to bat for Sam Howe here, but that's the tenacity of that man. Like he, he just won't say die. That's the thing about Sam Howe. And so if like a team sees that about him when he interviews, someone's going to fall in love with him. So I agree. He might, he might wind up back in the first for sure, but going into the future of North Carolina. Uh, uh, so here's the thing. Like, I, I think Drake May is the man for the job. He literally decommitted and told Nick Saban no. So then he could come play here at Carolina because he wanted to, I get it. Like at first he wanted to be away from his brother, Luke May, who's uh you know, the guy that won the national championship in basketball for us in the Tar Heels. Um, so he's definitely an alumni, but the, the May family is very much loved here in, in the community and stuff like that. Um, but I get it. He wanted to make it his own, but the fact that he wanted to carry the lineage of the May family and of the North Carolina Tar Heels and come play for Mac, also shows why Mac Brown should stick around for a little bit longer. I think, you know, he needs to get a little bit more of a window. This is the first season that he's, he's, you know, done this since the turnaround where it's been like a six and six and stuff like that. And honestly, some of it was um, stupid mistakes. Honest, a lot of it's the defense didn't live up to their, uh, to their recruitment level. Um, great thing is we have, I think what the number eight overall national rank as far as recruitment and number one in the ACC. So that shows the power of Mac Brown. And so, you know, I'm hoping that Sarkeesian stays in Texas and Texas doesn't come call a Mac because I don't want him to go back there just because they're feeling nostalgic and they want another national championship. I hope he can stay here like he did when he first came to Carolina and kind of build that um, tradition again. So we got some great people coming in next year. Um, Drake May's the man for the job. He's uh he's different than Sam. He's not going to be the guy that he can, he can run out, you know, when he needs to, but he projects as an NFL comparison of Sam Bradford. And so, uh, you know, I call him Sammy Biscuits is like the, the joke that we called him there, the uh, fantasy footballers. But um, Sam Bradford was known to, you know, be dead eye, look, you know, for one, two, three options and then make the proper pass. Drake May is very effective. He was in the Elite 11 uh, program as well. So he's been coached up very well. Um, Chris Well, uh, I saw where he got a little bit more in the Wofford game. And I think that was more of a, uh, uh, I think because Mac like personally went to Chriswell, whereas Drake was like, um, no thanks to Alabama. I'm actually going to come play for Carolina. Mac's like, heck yes. So now it's like, now he has his stud, but I think it was like a service to Chriswell to be like, Hey, it's a, you know, it was like a senior day. It was like seniority type situation. You're the sophomore, you're the junior. Let's go ahead and get you in the Chriswell is very capable. Don't get me wrong. I think he's great, but he was like a high three-star early four-star Whereas Drake May is like literally like four star leaning towards five star comparison. So, I mean, as far as tangibles and what's capable of Drake May, it's the eye test. I mean, you saw it in the spring game, man. Drake May gets it done. Um, I think he wins the job unless we see some crazy transfer stuff. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I know a lot of people saying Dylan Gabriel to, you know, Ole Miss. But this type of offense always suits well for, uh, you know, a quarterback that's looking to, you know, pad stats or looking at a good year and stuff like that. So unless something crazy from the transfer portal happens, I say Drake may hundred percent will probably wind up be uh, under center before this is over. And then hopefully Chris will sticks around, but if he doesn't, you know, the portal's there and, you know, we'll, uh, I just, you know, we'll, we have plenty of recruits coming in. So it is what it is, but I still say Drake may, man. No. Yeah. I think, um, I think Matt Brown, you know, I'm not saying he should leave. I just saw some things this year. They'd seem like they, um, kind of crumbled in a couple games like that, you know, NC State mm-hmm. game, kind of, you know, some mistakes. Yeah. And just, you know, obviously he's not he's not a spring chicken. So, you know, I, I wondered how, how much longer he wanted to coach, but he's still bringing in good recruits. And I yeah. think um, it was just it was just kind of a, a bad year for, you know, how for Howell's last year with them losing everything um, for, you know, and, and him not being able to have that supporting cast. I don't know much about the offensive line, but when I watched North Carolina, it did not seem very, like, very it wasn't good at good. all. Yeah, luckily we got uh, Travis Shaw and Zach Rice coming in next year who are, like, really top two as far as offense and defensive line, so we're definitely getting some beef coming up. And I agree, there's some things that Mac Brown will call that I think Longo didn't want to or he had a different plan in mind as far as either, you know, uh, like go for the, you know, go for a two-point conversion or, hey, let's – do this field goal or, you know, take this one instead of we're fourth and one, let's do like a QB sneak. Let's get Sam back in there. Let's get, you know, someone to follow Chandler and stuff like that. Uh, I, you know, so I agree. Sometimes Mac Brown's a little bit of the old school mentality. You'll, you'll see it sometimes where he makes, cause he is the head coach. So he makes the overall call where I feel like sometimes you can see the frustration out of Phil Longo's face and Phil Longo's, you know, a genius 
offensive coordinator, he made that Ole Miss system flourish and Lane Kiffin's just turning into like, you know, something extravagant over there. And the good thing is we're getting these recruits now that we can kind of do what Phil Longo wants to do. Um, but we're also going to see um, with some of the recruits coming in a, another thunder and lightning type system, like we saw with Williams and, uh, and, uh, and Carter, we're going to see uh, two guys that are coming in next year that could change the game for us and kind of get that back to like we had it. Um, so then I think Drake may understand is perfect. So even if Mac does leave or he retires or something like that, I would love to see Longo do it. I know he may not be like a head coach type of guy, but if he would be interested, that would be amazing to have Phil Longo as a head coach and just find another guy in his system for the offensive coordinator for sure. Yeah, definitely. I know um, we've kind of talked about the portal. So let's, you know, yeah. as we've kind of discussed, um, you know, in the Discord and, you know, a little bit before the show, the, the transfer mm-hmm. portal has probably been the, the you know, the most so far, you know, after the season, just everyone going crazy. So I thought we'd mm-hmm. kind of talk about, um, you know, there's some big names in there and where we think they might go. Um, obviously, uh, you'll look more at a uh, fantasy um production oh, yeah. <laughs> um but i think i think the uh most of these are high-end guys anyway that you know have nfl potential so mm-hmm. they would want to go to that system so first of all let's look at jameer gibbs um mm-hmm. i know Bijan, you know is is the is the running back that everyone loved for 2023 but ever since i started watching jameer gibbs i've just loved his game i think his his style you know is slashing and he as as good of a receiver you know, I think, you know, he can do things like Kamara can do, um, you mm-hmm. know, in the NFL. Um, I, I, I felt bad for him at Georgia Tech because that offense just was not functional. And you saw that, you know, against Notre yep. Dame and Georgia. So I, I know there's been some um, some rumors, some Tennessee, some Alabama, and even Michigan State getting in the mix. For a college fantasy um, perspective, where would you want Gibbs to go? Um, so from what I'm hearing from people like he, he loves the state of Georgia. So then you have Georgia fans saying, oh, man, he's coming. He's coming over here uh, to Georgia. But um, they really don't need to with, you know, Milton's still there. And uh, they, I think McIntosh is still due for another season there so as well. Plus, they got another four star guy coming in that is looking really, really good as far as coming out of high school. Uh, I think he's the second overall running back behind the guy that Alabama got. Like I said, these guys, Alabama and, and, uh, and Georgia are RBU, so they're just going to keep him coming. So I don't see Jameer Gibbs going there. Uh, if he stays in state, I mean, I don't I don't see – he has too much talent, so why would he go to a Georgia State and drop down to G5? Um, he could, you know, stick around to closer states, so we're looking at Florida. Uh, I don't know if Jay Sean Corbin's that guy anymore. I would love to see Gibbs at Florida State. That would be very intriguing to me. Um Maybe even Florida, honestly, Florida U, uh, especially if they go with AR-15 with Anthony Richardson and have Jameer Gibbs in the backfield. That's scary, and I love everything fantasy-wise for that as well. Um, I don't know if you saw the poll, but it's like he's getting some good traction as far as like Zach Evans versus Jameer Gibbs as far as who would you want to take. It got very close in, in voting. I think it was our guy, uh, Phil McGee, who does the FBS Fantasy Foot. He does all the injury updates and stuff for us. Thank you, sir. You're a uh, godsend, and I appreciate you doing that for us. Um but it got pretty close. Like I think Evans only took it like 58, 40 something. It was, it was, it was fairly close. Um, so, I mean, Gibbs at Florida, Gibbs at Florida state. Um, hey, if he wants to transfer to Carolina, uh, that'd be fine. I'm good with that. But uh, I don't know if he fits the system too good, but I, I do see, uh, I, I see a good fit at Florida state, honestly. And at Florida, I think that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. I think just his skill set, he can, I mean, you would think anyone could use him, you know, mm-hmm. um, just because he can run it. You know, you could have a, a bigger, bigger back to take, you know, most of the beating, you know, give him yep. maybe 10 carries a game and then give him like five to seven, you know, receptions and everything. And mm-hmm. with a, I just think if he gets on a better offense, um, which would not be that hard because Georgia Tech's offense, especially from the quarterback position, has just not been very good lately. So it's not so they can't just totally focus in on him. Um, yeah, and from a fantasy perspective also, I hope he doesn't go to Georgia because it's always a mess with Georgia because they always yeah. play three running backs. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can't you can't really play any of them because you're just hoping one falls in zone and they have very little ceiling. Yeah, Georgia's so, good um, for DFS purposes, but when it comes to normal CFF, it's just – it's one of those, like, back – those rooms that you just avoid completely. It's just like, no, it's not worth it. They can – you know, I'll take a waiver on him if he, if he gets hot or something like that, but that's it. 
No, I definitely agree. I kind of feel like they're kind of like the 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 Patriots of college football and how they yes. use that. Yeah, is it Harris? Is it Stevenson? You or is it Burt? Uh, I guess Burkhead's not there anymore. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Is it Bolden? Yeah. Which one is it going to be this week? That's kind of like Georgia for sure. The Kirby Smart plays that Belichick type thing. Yeah. So now another, you know, you mentioned ah, Zach, yes. Zach Evans. Um, I did see that uh, Sonny Dykes was reaching out to Zach Evans. So He's trying to keep um, him. So we'll see if he keeps him. You know, we've kind of seen, um, you know, I think I think Evans has kind of gotten over, you know, the knucklehead type thing, you know. But um, yeah. it seems like he kind of, you know, wa- tends to waffle, you know, a little bit back and forth. But maybe with that new system, you know, they can get, hit, get him in. Um, I'm very interested if he does leave TCO where he would lean because I, I just mm-hmm. cannot get a get a read really on where he would go. And, and you won't. Uh, I, I don't. I don't disparage the great name of Zach Evans, but he does give me that uh, OBJ type feel as far as um, not over dramatics, but you know what I'm saying, like demands the the attention of the audience. Um, and I don't think TCU gave him enough glitz and glam, if I'm being honest with you. Um, the thing is, good thing is he made TCU like ten times better immediately because he that's the greatest get that TCU's ever got was Zach Evans and it's, it's sad to see him leave and now we'll see a TCU real rebuild without you know no Rager no Evans or anything like that but um it's hard to read man uh, I still I think he's going to look at the bigger programs he's going to look to see if he can like slide into one of these um these bigger I don't I don't see it being Clemson that's too you know crowded Georgia why would you do that you know what I'm saying like uh, Alabama, there's Robinson up from what I told. I mean, he's still, I don't know if he's back or not. I've heard rumors of yay or nay. We'll see how it goes, but like it's too stuffy in the, in the bigger programs. Like, so he did good the first chance. I, I hope, uh, I hope Dykes can get him back at TCU. I heard he, uh, uh, I don't think it would make sense for him to go to Texas with uh Bijan there or anything like that, but, uh, it's hard to read, man. It really is. Uh, uh, what if he went West Coast, man? Like, what are your thoughts, man? Do you think Riley could give him a call? Because I always, every time I see one of these big names, now automatically it's like, is Lincoln Riley going to call this guy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I definitely agree. Because agree he might. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, look, they have Keontae Ingram, and I think Ingram's good, but he's just finishing the season. He's the graduate transfer from Texas. You know what I'm saying? Like, he couldn't get the job with the Longhorns. Zach Evans is a night and day difference between a Keontae Ingram. So imagine that band in the backfield and then you got to deal with Bryant. And then I'm pretty sure Hazelwood probably decommitted on purpose because I think Hazelwood's probably going to wind up back up in, in California. So he'll probably wind up at USC or something like that. So we're looking at USC going from whack to, you know, being in contention against Utah next year, probably for the PAC 12 championship. So I don't know, man, that's always in the back of my head. I think he might, you know, just go make a splash at one of these, uh, these schools that just haven't been like top of the thing just yet, but very close of getting there, you know, as far as a playoff contention and just makes a big splash and then gets, come on Southern Cal in LA. That's a lot of, that's a good, lot of attention, man. Like it's either there or maybe UCLA. I mean, maybe he can go up against and join Chip Kelly system. I know they're loose in Charbonnet and then Britton Brown's been decent, you know, but uh, you know, that could be an option too. So. Yeah. Both of those are good. And the, I think the USC is good too, because, um, I don't know if it was ever – I mean, there's rumors at least where he said that, you know, he only um, – when in that recruitment of Georgia, he only won a certain amount of carries each game, you know, kind mm-hmm. of preserve his body. And I think at yeah. USC they'll have lots of talent. And then, you know, Lincoln Riley can um, feature him, but maybe only get him, you know, 15, 17 touches and have other parts. So I think yeah. that's a good call. And uh, I do wonder, too, would he kind of look at LSU with Brian Kelly going there? Yeah. That's that true. could be another be another kind fantastic. of flashy, yeah, flashy yeah. thing. And Brian Kelly uses those running bats. You know, look at what he's done with Kyron. You know, so I think that could be exciting. So um, I think for Gibbs and um, Evans, it's you know everyone's watching for where they're going to go because they you know they'll probably both be in better. Well, Gibbs definitely be in a better situation. Evans, you would think he'd be in a better situation. Um, but um, come both back of those, would be good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's fine. So, all right. So Nets, Spencer Rattler. Um, hmm. I mean, we all knew he was transferring. My opinion on him is he needs to go to, um, he's going to go to a power five team, but if I kind of see maybe not one that the pressure isn't going to be there. Cause I think the pressure at Oklahoma, maybe just like war on him in like mm-hmm. the, you know, cause you're always going to have that great backup. 
and the, the fans kind of turned on him. So like maybe a middle to like, you know, not top tier team that he can, you can kind of um, work on his reputation, you know, get his stats up so he can go to the NFL. Um, so I'm very interested on your opinion, opinion uh, on Spencer Rattler and can he, you know, he was probably drafted pretty highly um, even on just um, CFF this past year. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was a big time bust. It definitely sucked. You know, when you're luckily I didn't get a hold of him. I, uh, it was between him and Mo. I took Mo Ibrahim. Of course that sucked because I lost Mo after one game. However, you roll with the punches, <laughs> but now that I look at it, I was able to, you know, I lost Mo. I was able to get Tyler Beatty from Missouri and he had a fantastic year as a senior. Um, and then, you know, I lost Dylan Gabriel, but I was able to pick up Peyton Thorne from Michigan state. Who's done pretty decent as well. So like the waiver wire is your friend in CFF. We always say, um, but yeah, of course, Rattler first round guy, um, definitely, uh, didn't do it. He was in Heisman talk, didn't do it. Um, it's not too far off to see this guy take the Malik Willis route, um, where he's like, he goes to a mid-major, uh, I don't think he would go as low as like a conference USA per se, or he would drop down to G5. Um, I know he's from Arizona. I don't know if he would, I mean, uh, Jaden Daniels, or uh, I don't know how you feel about him as quarterback and as far as like Debbie and production and stuff like that. But between the two of them, I think Spencer Rattler could take the job at Arizona State. Arizona's in desperate need of talent. Um, you know, if they got like a good quarterback, it might some of those wide receivers might be interested in going. I think Stanley Berryhill has been the standout there at Arizona with the Wildcats has been the only true production there the past couple of years. So to see uh, Rattler to go to Arizona there. Um, and then my uh, my sleeper, I think, is uh, Garbers from Cal is uh, leaving. So the California Bears would probably be a good option. They actually have some decent talent at running back and some okay recruits at a uh, wide receiver, good four stars over there. Couple five stars might follow him over there. So if he's gonna, you know, live the Cali life, and that also means that he goes up against his old coach from time to time as well. And uh, let's go ahead and put the narrative to bed. He's not going to USC when he got benched by his own coach. Why would he want to go again? And then someone like a Keller Williams transfers because he's on the fence, or even Jackson Dart, who I love. You know, Jackson Dart, I think, could beat out Spencer Rattler if you're looking at a QB battle. It's the eye test. It's just what I see. And when it comes down to it, Spencer Rattler is not a terrible quarterback. It's his attitude, and it's the way he approaches life, and he approaches the game. He looks at it as a job and as something to make money. He needs to look at it as his life. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's his livelihood. He needs to be a dog. You know what I'm saying? He needs to he needs to have that tenacity and that mentality. And I think we see it sometimes. There's a quite a few plays, especially against, what, Texas, where him and Caleb Williams both had to, you know, persevere to get the job done because texas was not holding back that was a, a beautiful red rival <laughs> red rival red river rivalry that we saw so um i mean I, I could see him in a couple of those schools i know he loves arizona he wants to go back home so there's arizona arizona state but i still think california might uh might tempt him to go to cali somewhere i don't know if, but it's not going to be usc people so quit saying that that's not happening yeah i i've seen that too you know they're like oh he's falling i mean he got benched i don't know why yeah. he would do that um and yeah, I, I like the schools you said. And um, another one out in California too that might be interesting is if he goes and plays for Chip Kelly at UCLA. Yes, um, that's another you one. Know, so I definitely think he might uh, go out west. But I I think too, um, although his his value has gone down, I think it's still salvageable. Um, yeah. Unlike uh, another quarterback, we you know I'll just mention DJU. Um, I I picked him very uh. early in a. a, a you know, a CTC, and I, I don't know if you'll ever get value back for him just because he just looks yeah. he just looks so lost. At least Spencer Rattler, we've seen multiple games of him playing the high level last mm-hmm. year and a couple this year, and it looks like maybe he just needed this, you know, to get knocked down a peg, you know, and to kind of get his attitude kind of fixed and mm-hmm. kind of more focused. Maybe that'll help him with DJU. It just, it just doesn't look – I mean, maybe it's partially that Clemson offense because it just looked bad this year maybe, but – you know, he just did not look right. So, um, yeah, so definitely with Rattler. And I think there's another – yeah, yeah, Chip. Yep. So I'm at, I was actually surprised he was transferring. Were you surprised? Yeah. Um, I, I heard no rumblings of uh, him wanting to leave. I mean, I know there was uh, the whole two running back system thing, and I, I don't know if he just wants to be featured. Uh, he would be a good replacement at TCU if uh, Zach Emmons doesn't go back. I would love to see – uh, chip here at uh, at TCU, um, or just one of those you know blue blood schools where they just ground and pound because uh, him by himself, which it seems like that's 
the case for him or he just wants to be showcased uh more uh he's definitely got he already did really well there as you can see as far as like the jump up in production and that's him splitting time you know so imagine what he can do as the bell cow situation um i don't know I don't know. He has. He seems to be a little bit more elusive than Eno. I mean, Eno Benjamin was one of those bowling ball guys. The, we call him like the like the muscle hamsters of the world that just ran downhill and hit you as hard as they could go. Um, Chip definitely has um, some great talent as far as both catching and and running out the backfield with great elusiveness. He's got a uh, quick hips, man. So if he can go to a spot like TCU or just one of these guys that'll just feature him, he's going to jump up as not only in CFF rankings, but he's also going to jump up as far as a uh, a marketable running back that people can look at in Debbie too. So. No, definitely. Um, yeah, I. the only thing I can think of with him is he just wasn't thrilled with, you know, getting less and less time this year yeah. with the, um, you know, with Rashad White, who um, was playing very well. So they'll be very interested. But I think, yeah, he's he's going to be he can be a feature back at, you know, pretty much a bunch of schools that, you know, have have opportunities. And I think it'll be really um, inter- interesting. Maybe, you know, even with um, Florida getting Napier, you know, he likes mm-hmm. to run the ball. And if he doesn't really love the running backs they have, maybe, you know, he takes a look at him or, you know, like you said, Florida State or some of those big heavy uh, run teams. And yep. we'll just um, talk a little bit about um, Lincoln Riley going to USC. When yep. I saw that, I was floored. Um, you know, I I mean, it – that the deal, I, I guess you've heard like the the details of of his deal to USC. It's crazy yeah. the money, the jet, how they're paying it's for all the houses jet. and everything. Um, yeah, you know, they're helping I, them move I, and everything. Yeah, yeah, I get it, and it's going to be um, really you know for the most part because I've kind of talked about Oregon earlier how they always seem to shit the bed, and yeah. now it gives you know legitimacy legitimacy to the Pac-12 because you got to figure Lincoln Riley once he gets that system going, you know mm-hmm. they're going to run that Pat 12 again. I mean, I would assume. Oh, yeah. So do you think, do you think um, he's going to stick with Jackson dart? Or I guess it depends on what Caleb William does. And a lot of these like recruits, they come to USC, but um, yeah, yeah it, it could, it could mean Jackson darts going to gonna be on the move also, depending on how that goes. Yeah. If uh, from what we've, been told as far as people on the inside of Oklahoma that Williams is definitely on the fence. We're talking Caleb Williams. Um, I think he enjoys Stoops being there. So, of course, Oklahoma has to wait for the bowl game. I think he's just going to do what he needs to do as a quarterback and stick around and make sure he doesn't put Oklahoma in a tizzy like Lincoln Riley just did and finish the season as their freshman QB. And he's going to pad his stats and he's going to look, you know. But if he does go, Caleb Williams in that offense still, and you – Oh God, just the fact of thinking about him with Bryant. And then if we get Hazelwood back and get some of his boys that he's already played with and not to mention USC, like we're, we're talking about all these decommits now, you know, people are talking about how all these five-star, four-star wide receivers are decommitting from, you know, from Oklahoma, but most of them have come out of California. I find that pretty suspicious, by the way. I don't know if you read into that narrative that maybe he was looking to go West coast before it, it became cool. I, I know he plays it there, but let's be honest. Like, I don't think Riley wanted anything to do with the SEC. I just didn't think he wanted to, he didn't want to, he didn't want to go to LSU. He didn't want to take on Nick Saban. He just didn't want to be in the conference. He saw the PAC 12 as a way to, you know, establish dominance over on the West coast. And uh, granted, like I, I get it. Like, in his conference, he just wants to do what's best for his family. And I, I agree with that narrative. I don't I don't hate the man for it. Of course, I'm not a no you guy, but you know, from outside looking in, like he it looks like he was just trying to give his family new experiences. He's, you know, the money was really good. It's hard to say no. And they're literally giving him the reins to literally have at it. Like uh, in this game against uh I think they're playing the makeup game with UCLA this weekend. He literally gets to sit there and like take notes and you know get you know get used to some of these players. He might fall in love with Jackson Dart and might not even call Caleb Williams, which I don't see that happening. I think like if anyone's thinking about transfer, and I think Riley's going to call him, but at the same time, like uh, maybe he might see the tangibles that Jackson Dart can run his system, you know, the way he wants to. And then it's Jackson Dart to the moon. I'm talking Debbie. I'm talking Dynasty. I'm talking you know CFF. It don't matter what format that you're in. If Jackson Dart is the guy in the Linky Riley system. That, that man's shooting up boards real quick. We're talking like probably first round, early second round in CFF drafts already. So, um, and that was Jackson Dart just um, beating out Slovis. Slovis would be a great fit at like Western Kentucky or mid major going to Liberty or something like that. Slovis is still decent, but he's not than like Jackson Dart. Dart's the man. So we'll see, man. Uh, I, I, 
I, but I play into that narrative. I think uh, Riley just didn't want anything to do with the SEC, and he can get to the, you know, he wasn't going to get stopped by um, a Georgia or a uh, Alabama with the Pac-12. He has an easy way to get into the college playoff scenario, and he can play his way. And then all he has to do is worry about getting to the championship game and fighting, you know, the SEC. Then basically, it's just one game versus multiple games a season, you know. Yeah, definitely. I've heard rumors and rumblings that that kind of, and it makes sense, you know, because since he wasn't going to be in the Big 12 anymore and he probably didn't want to deal with the SEC, which I get, you know, I Mm -hmm. don't really understand, you know, for especially like Texas, they can't win in the Big 12. So I don't know how they're going in the SEC. But um, yeah, Mm -hmm. so we'll um, we'll just, we're about to close, but um, I just, I know we've kind of talked about this, but just give us a couple um, freshmen we should be kind of looking out for. Sure. So over at uh, College Fantasy Football University that that I'm over at, um, we all not only do prize picks where we you know pick selections as far as uh, fantasy points perspective. So it gives you that CFF feel, but able to win money on a daily basis. Um, not only we're doing that, you know, from the whole um, season, and now we're doing the championship games. We'll we'll have some of that coming up here uh, when we record, and then of course we'll have some bowl stuff. But uh, something that we're bringing this year is what we call the Future Freshman Series. So what we're doing is trying to get ahead of the game as far as being able to kind of showcase some of these uh, higher star uh, recruits. And we'll start in 2022, but we've already started to dig a little bit into 2023. So those that like Arch Manning and those names that you hear coming up, uh, you'll you'll see some of that probably in the off season. Um, you know, and I'm you know on the search for a co-host for the off season as well. So as soon as I find uh, the co-host that I choose, we're actually going to do some of this. So um, for future freshmen, what we're doing is we're showcasing, you know, some of the, uh, the, the, the current guys that are coming through. Uh, so guys I want to bring up uh, the one that's the top one that we're looking at. His name is uh, Luther Burden, the third, and he comes out of uh, St. Louis, Illinois. Um, he's 18, six, uh, one, 200 pounds, the five-star recruit. He was the number one uh, wide receiver coming out this year. He did commit to the Missouri Tigers. Um, he was graded uh, 91 in ESPN, 99.6 at 24-7, and he's considered a 6.1, which is a franchise player over at, um, you know, as, as rivals. His comparison is Chris Godwin, which I think is a great comparison because he does have that stock build. And Luther Burden has the probably the strongest hands in the class. Um, he's that raw type form. Like he can play any position, but he's big enough at six foot and six one as far as to take the advantage over everyone. He's just pure power and speed. And the good thing is that we we saw that Missouri has a lot to work on when it comes to the defense. However, they're getting some great players. And uh, uh, I'm not a fan of Connor, who's their quarterback right now. I think he's more game manager. They got a guy named Sam Horn that's coming in next year as their quarterback, and he is a dual threat. So not only does he have a gun on him, but he also can get down the field. So if you think of, you know, uh, a little bit beefier version of Sam Rattler, I'd say. That would probably be a good comparison to Sam Horn. Uh, Sam Horn's going to find this kid early and often. So LB3 is the guy that can make sense now as far as CFF coming up next year uh, because they have no one. Uh, Kiki Chisholm was a bust, and he's no longer with the program as well. Um, they lost their tight end to the portal literally two days ago. So it's literally there is a wide open field. And so Sam Horn and Luther Burden III are two names from Missouri that you need to pay attention to. Uh, my other favorite one, and this might spark some interest, is we have a guy called Jahan Dotson coming out of Penn State who's going to be a great uh, – I'm sure he's been a Debbie guy for a long time now, but he's in Dynasty and in and redraft possibly for next year. Uh, I'm even seeing that he's moving up, I think, McShay and uh, I want to say Mel Kuyper's board. Maybe not Mel's, but McShay's. I think he's moved up to the first round comparison. But Jahan Dotson's replacement's coming in. His name is uh, Caden Saunders, and he's actually – uh, from uh, Westview, Ohio. Kid is 5'10", 175. He's the uh, four-star recruit, and he has a comparison of Tyler Lockett. So if you like guys that can get out as far as separation themselves, being able to have elusive hips, uh, be explosive after the catch, and have strong hands, you're going to love this kid. Um, he might play out of the slot maybe his first year, freshman year, because that's what he's most comfortable with, but he can play outside. Uh, they're projecting him to be an All-American and someone that would be – enticing for those that love a good uh gadget player like tyler lockett the guy that's a speedster but can get it done as far as good catches and getting open quick uh so they're just some of the names that i'll, I'll bring up but it's something to look forward to when you're listening to the the cffu podcast going forward or you know something that you'll see we'll have it in um 
in an article form. I think we'll be able to launch a website here pretty shortly for them to be able to do those. So I'll give you the scoop first that um, we might be, you know, doing a website in the, the future freshman series here. But just this couple of names to look forward to. Uh, the wide receiver class is looking really, really good, good replacements. Um, and then if we're looking at running back, uh, the two guys are coming into Carolina, George Petaway and uh, Mario Hampton. One of them is literally Amara Hampton is considered. And then uh, there's one, if you look up on YouTube, they call him the Saquon Barkley of of uh, high school. So if you like guys that just produce points and stuff like that, the dude went for over uh, 1,948 rushing yards in just a senior season. So he's been over 3,000 yards in two seasons alone. So the kid's a monster. Um, and then Petaway is that elusive guy that uh, that can produce. And the good thing, what I'm doing is I'm taking a lot of these stats uh, in their senior season and being able to, um, converted into like fantasy points. So we're looking at like a Petaway and, and Hampton on average are about 20 fantasy points per game. So if you're looking at that perspective, getting in, you know, to Debbie and looking forward to something, you know, that it can produce for you, you might be looking at a new one-two punch here uh, for Carolina coming in next year. So kind of pay attention. Uh, Drake May is looking really good for those in the Debbie community. So be looking out for Carolina, man. Mac, Mac's making moves, at least in the recruitment field. So we can't hate him for that. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, brought up Hampton. I've watched some of his film, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I really like him. So he's definitely mm-hmm. one. And I'm um, talking about Penn State, State. You know, they might finally have their quarterback with Drew Aller coming in, yep. you know. So, so you have you Saunders know, as this guy, yeah. Yeah, so definitely. So um, so those are great, some uh, great names. And I'll be really excited to uh, check that out when that, that comes out in the offseason. So I just, Brandon, I would just want to thank you for uh, – coming on so we could have brandon squared you know yeah, uh, man. Th- be square this, for life yeah yeah <laughs> so th- thank you very much and that's gonna Absolutely. do it for um episode three